So hello, I'm Sean Milne. Welcome to this latest episode of the Celtic Kiwi. I'm delighted to be joined today by Neil Mitchell, the manager for Loch Cleveland National Nature Reserve. Hello there. Hi, Sean. Beautifully queued up. <laughs> Some kind of bird. That will be one of our mallards, yeah, having a wee laugh at us. It's an absolutely gorgeous view where, where, where we are. Can you, can you explain exactly, for people who've never been here, you know, where Loch Leven is? Okay, so yeah, we're at Loch Leven. Um, it's the east coast of Scotland, um, just north of Edinburgh. Um, you may, in between the, uh, the sound of the resident ducks, um, you might be able to hear the sound of the M90 as well, which uh, passes very close by us. So we're centrally located. And we're currently sitting um, in what we call the Mill Hyde, uh, which overlooks um, the reserve. Um, we can see the sleeping giant hill in the background. We've also got um, Castle Island, um, where Mary Queen of Scots was exiled, um, and several, well, tens of thousands of different ducks, geese, and swans, um, who will probably be sound checking from time to time while we're talking. I have to say, I mean, just gazing out from the height here across the, the lock, you know, the, the sun's shimmering on top of the water here, the trees are bathed in this kind of glow in, in the background. It's an absolutely stunning place for you to call an office. I mean, how, how long have you been here? Uh, so I've been here for 12 years now, um, and yeah, it's, it's just an amazing place, and every day is different here. Um, you know, but the sunrises that we get here, particularly in the winter, you know, with the sound of the geese overhead, um, and, you know, particularly from this hide here where you look out to the east and the sun just comes up over the eastern horizon, um, and it's, it's just a beautiful place to work, it really is. And how many people are in your team, you know, what, what do you do here, and how did you yourself get involved with, with this particular project? Um, so, yeah, um, the team here, um, it varies, we've got a seasonal ranger and we've had graduate placements um, and there's normally uh, another member of our reserve officer who's uh, kind of ranger member of staff always out and about on the reserve and you know what we do here, I mean the, the reserve in the 12 years that I've been here it's seen quite a few changes and um, there's now a path um, 13 miles that goes the whole way round the loch and that's an all abilities trail um, so folk can cycle it, they can walk it, you can push buggies around it, um, much of it's wheelchair accessible as well, the hide that we're in here at the moment is, is wheelchair accessible. So you know um, we do a lot of surveys, the site is really important for the um, ducks, geese and swans which visit here, um, at the moment all the winter migrants are arriving um, but during the summer months the islands on the loch are really important for nesting duck as well. And the thing that struck me about here the first time when I, when I arrived was the sheer scale of it, it's huge, absolutely huge, I mean, it goes on as far as I can see. That's right, yeah, yeah. So it's 1800 hectares, um, which doesn't mean a lot to, to most folk, um, but if you imagine the path is 13 miles the whole way round, um, and from the hide that we're sat at here, I can see what I think is the end of the lock in, in the distance, but in actual fact, um, that's St Surf's Island, which is home to many of our nesting duck species during the summer months. The end of the loch is another couple of kilometres past that. Um, so yeah, it is, it's actually the largest loch in lowland Scotland. Um, there are some of the highland lochs north of the highland boundary fault are bigger, but in lowland Scotland this is the largest, um, the largest of the lot. One thing that 
you know, anybody who lives around here can't um, avoid noticing is, you know, in October, the geese that arrive, like a, you know, some kind of crazy invading army. It's only thousands upon thousands of them come across, and you can just hear them, you know, sort of all times of day, mostly in the morning, certainly late at night. You know, is, is that the biggest, you know, um, flock that, that arrive here on an annual basis? Yes, the most, uh, during the winter, the most numerous species would be the, the pink-footed geese. Um, and October is our peak arrival time for them. So during sort of mid to end of October, we can have up to 20 odd thousand visiting the reserve. And those, you know, they feed in the fields surrounding the loch and then Loch Leven is a perfect safe roost site for them to come and roost. And so that's what, what they visit the site for is it's the safety of having having a huge expanse of water and during the night they'll drift around on that safe from foxes and things like that um, and then out into the fields nearby um, to feed during the daytime and uh, yeah the locals um, they know autumn has arrived when when they see the skeins of geese overhead. So it's a, it's a stunning place for for you know bird life and you know, other species to, to hang out and you know I've, I've been around the lock a few times you're know, walking or, or, or on my bike and you know it changes every single day it's, it's fascinating but in terms of you know what the team at Nature Scott does you know or the old Scottish you know, National Nature Reserve as I think it was until just recently you know, if, if people see you guys out on the ground you know see you're driving about and your, your funky looking vehicles which which are you know, all funny shapes and sizes you know I can't imagine any day will, will be the same but I mean what's the what's the types of work that you've been doing here okay so yeah I mean Nature Scott um, we were Scottish Natural Heritage um, and we've just become Nature Scott and uh, you know that's a real it's a new era almost for Nature Scott um, but we've always been uh, very involved here with volunteer work so we have a great team at Loch Leven of volunteers um, who help the regular reserve staff um, doing a whole variety of different tasks. So, I mean, I suppose if I were to go through uh, maybe a, a year on the reserve and I can give you a kind of a taster of, of how the seasons occupy our time really on the reserve. At the moment we're in autumn, um, so for the staff um, we're regularly up um, bright and early um, counting the geese, so we take part in um, the Icelandic Grey Goose Census, um, which is a national survey, and uh, we um, basically go around the reserve along with our colleagues at RSPB Scotland and count all of the geese um, on the reserve as accurately as we possibly can, um, and that feeds into a national data set when we do that. We also, this time of year, with our volunteer teams, we would be sort of clearing back um, the trail around the, around the reserve, just any overhanging vegetation outside of the breeding season, um, just clearing the paths for folk um, because it's very popular and you know over the course of the summer um, needs quite a lot of maintenance. And then my colleagues just today, in fact, they'll be out doing the um, webs counts, which is a wetland bird survey. Um, so they'll be out and about again surveying all of the different um, species on the reserve but also um, we have staff who will be out you probably heard just there um, some of the visitors on the heritage trail there um, and we just spend a lot of time just out um, you know in the hides talking to visitors maybe helping them do a bit of bird watching informing them about the reserve as well 
and then through the summer months um, that can be management of invasive species, um, things like Himalayan balsam, our volunteer team regularly spend their days during the summer months um, pulling out some of the Himalayan balsam which we've got around the reserve which uh, takes over from some of our other native species, it's quite invasive or highly invasive and then lots of surveys as well um, and as I say keeping the, the, the trail clear for, for visitors um, and things like you know the less salubrious side of things, litter picks and things like that as well unfortunately that's a part of our, our daily routine um, yeah so really varied really and the kind of stuff we can be doing you know just going around here during you know what has been i'm sure must be a really challenging time with the, the pandemic you know it's been quite striking you know the number of people who have been able to to utilize the, the trail and the lock and, and go out there but for for you and your team you know how's how's COVID 19 impacted on you being able to do all the work i mean have you been able to get out the whole time? Did you have to be furloughed? You know, what have been the, the, the main challenges and you know, how, how do you keep up with something like that? Um, well, I mean, I think we were all thankful that we didn't have to be furloughed. We didn't, we didn't go that far. Um, but there was during, you know, the core part of lockdown from what, you know, the end of March through till, through till early June, really, we were not able to get out on the reserve really um, we were working from home so we had a graduate placement um, who was kind of training to, to work on nature reserves and understand more about nature conservation and he started um, in the end of the summer before but basically he then ended up um, having to do a lot of work from home we had a seasonal who started beginning of march um, and again, she almost never got onto the reserve before lockdown hit. But both of them were kept busy um, doing things like creating resources online. So we did lots of activities for, for families and things, you know, people who were maybe um, stuck inside, not necessarily, you know, it, with Kinross and Loch Leven on their doorstep, but just anybody could go out and, um, you know, create some art in nature and things like that, you know, in their half hour exercise. Um, so, you know, it was, it was things like that. And also there was certainly an element of being able to catch up on um, sort of jobs that we had, you know, paperwork that we'd been meaning to do for a long while and we were finally able to, to get round to doing. You know, so initially there was a lot to do and then it was just preparing for coming back to the reserve as well. But we did, you know, when we came back in June, um, it's fair to say that we were, we were kind of behind on a lot of our work, things like the invasive species management you know we were behind with that some of the surveys that we would ordinarily have done we'd missed those um, you know wildlife didn't wait for covid it just carried on doing its thing and what, what kind of long-term impact does that have I and mean, that's that something that you know over a course of time will be remedied or you know do you think right now as a as an impact you know it's something that perhaps will you'll never be able to to catch up on uh, i mean there are some things so you know some some data will be missing and I mean that's something that nationally you know things like as I say the the wetland bird surveys that we do you know we don't just do that for you know here those are being done throughout the British Isles and most of that stopped for a period so yes there will be impacts in terms of you know a year's data set uh, but in terms of you know the birds were still there um, we know that all of the the um, the ducks were still breeding out on St. Surfs. You know, we don't know how successful a year it was, but we know that they were still out there. Um, and, you know, we still saw plenty of young um, when we came back out of furlough. So, you know, 
that kind of thing has carried on. Uh, our, our invasive species management, well, you know, we've lost a year of that, but, you know, we'll just have to work harder next year. Um, but there's been so many positives to it, you know, because um, I think, you know, people were out enjoying the reserve. And I think that that's, that's a really important thing that came out of COVID was that people um, really appreciated what they had on their doorstep here. Um, and, you know, the value, the green space that they've got on their doorstep, perhaps more than they did pre-COVID, you know. There were so many people enjoying taking their daily exercise out here. And at the same time, they were seeing, you know, they were seeing roe deer out on the trail. Um, they saw their first kingfisher from the hide where we're sat here now. Um, you know, they saw great crested grebe carrying young on its back. And they, they, they kind of, because everybody had slowed down, um, we weren't there with them necessarily um, because you know we weren't out and about but people were still enjoying that and getting that and I think you know they hopefully understand more about what Nature Scott are trying to achieve with with the reserve here um, you know and I think uh, I think long term there'll be a lot of positives come out of it um, but it was a strange it was a strange summer um, and there was a lot of catching up to be done um, when we did when we did get back out. It's interesting because I've been following a, a debate about you know for instance how you know, some of the Scandic and Nordic countries, you know, embrace their environment, you know, everything from having huts to just getting out and uh, hiking up hills and skiing and, and, and all the various things. Lots of which do happen in Scotland, but it does seem that even amid the tragedy of, you know, the pandemic, people have found this way to reconnect and slow down, perhaps reevaluate their own sort of balance in terms of how they conduct their life and the work-life balance in, in particular. So when you see more people coming around, you know, does that make you think it will be there for the long term now? Do you think it's embedded in the psyche already? I think, I think it probably is. I think people are going to be, and I hope people will um, take the opportunity to enjoy um, and enjoy the countryside, enjoy the nature on their doorstep, be them fortunate enough to have somewhere like Loch Leven or the other green spaces um, that they may have near their home. I think, you know, people will hopefully do that and, I, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that that will happen. I think, um, you know, there's probably going to be other changes which, you know, mean that maybe people aren't travelling overseas so much and they are enjoying, you know, the Scottish um, landscape and countryside more. And that is that there is an audience there, um, some of whom maybe haven't really thought about visiting Scotland, walking the local hills around here, visiting the Heritage Trail. And so, you know, I think Nature Scott going forward, part of our role will be um, really about trying to educate people in terms of, you know, how to do that responsibly, because, you know, it's not like a city centre of Glasgow where, you know, for example, you know, there's bins everywhere and you just put your rubbish, you know, in the nearest bin. And if you don't bother doing that, well, someone will be along behind you to pick it up. Uh, unfortunately, the countryside isn't that like that. Um, and, you know, we did have problems with people, um, you know, with the amount of litter that was left on the reserve, you know, vandalism and things like that. You know, that was very much something that, you know, particularly during lockdown was a real problem. And the only time that we were able to get out of our, our home offices was um, if we were out to go and repair damage in one of the bird hides or something like that, unfortunately, or broken glass and things like that in the hides. But that's a small number of people and so many other people I hope will really um, continue to enjoy the countryside and really appreciate the value that it has for our physical and mental well-being as well as 
you know, the biodiversity and the benefits of that, you know, globally. I, I don't want to get, um, go down the, the line of politics particularly, but I'm curious to know if you think that, again, that as people have rediscovered nature and mental health comes to the fore and just general well-being for folk and the environment, bear in mind COP26 is obviously next year, so there's going to be a huge year-long uh, attention on how Scotland can persuade the world to, to lead going forward. Now, do you think there might actually be an opportunity for it be, to be more support given to organisations like Nature Scotland and other stakeholders in, in the sector to, to do more to open up these spaces or perhaps even enhance and expand the spaces? I think there will be and I really hope that there will be and I think Nature Scotland are going to be at the fore of doing that of, you know, um, you know, biodiversity, um, you know, really climate change, all these, you know, these global issues. But um, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the green recovery. Um, and I think, you know, Nature Scott and so many other organisations are really going to be the ones that are going to be driving that forward. Um, and what I really hope and I believe will be the case is that I think that, you know, post-COVID, I think the audience in terms of the general public is going to be much bigger and much more um, sympathetic and will listen to that and will hopefully support that going forward. Um, you know, it's, it's a massive topic um, and there are so many um, different um, aspects to it, but I think um, broadly speaking, yeah, I think, um, I think we're going to see a, a real change and I really look forward to the, um, you know, to the greening of our countryside to, you know, biodiversity, um, more green spaces in urban areas, um, you know, inf green infrastructure connecting all these places and, you know, the wildlife being able to, um, you know, move through the countryside more freely and, you know, the, um, you know, the benefits that we will see in terms of, um, you know, carbon mitigation and things like that as well. So let's assume you're First Minister for you know, the day. How, how do you achieve that? How how can you, or what would you prioritise in terms of saying this is what we need to do for, for Scotland to flourish, for its habitat to be protected, for bio, biodiversity to, you know, steam forward? Um, I think it really will be, I mean, there are so many different things, but I mean, for example, just, you know, planting more trees, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, um, green about forestry strategy changing and planting more trees um, you know that would be a massive thing um, I think one of the political parties came out just last week said they're looking for 40% sort of native forestry covered in Scotland now so I mean is that sort of thing really achievable? I think it is I think it is yeah yeah I think it, it definitely is um, and you know the only thing that will stop it from happening um, will be people and political um, and the political parties but I think that there is enough you know because political parties work to the wider public and I think the wider public want to see that so I, I'm confident that we will see that and I think um, you know Nature Scott will be at the fore of that um, but there's so many other things as well you know the way that um, that agriculture works as well you know and 
you know, maybe making more space for nature on our on our farms as well. You know, um, there's so many different things that could be done. Um, I think that's for the policymakers to uh, to really do. I I manage my I, I can look after my own wee bit, but I think the policymakers can really uh, can, can decide. But on we'll that. let let the Scottish elections be the level for that come next summer, I guess. But but here in itself, I mean, looking out again against this glorious vista, you know, um, that you that you're lucky enough to to manage along with the other stakeholders here. What, what kind of things would you like to do here, you know, just on a sort of project-by-project project basis? And, you know, I mean, you've been here, what, 12 years? Yeah, yeah. You know, and already there's been so many changes that you've managed to implement. You, you tell me about some of them earlier on. Even the trail itself and that collaboration that been uh, established, you know, and you've got, I think, across the other side from us here, I think it's the RSPB, Vane mm, Farm. Yeah. You know, and obviously you have uh, Historic Scotland, I think, are involved mm, with the, yeah. the, the castle over there the estate that's here you know working that kind of collaboration in an environment like this you know i'd imagine most of the the, the work that is done is, is is very complementary to each other you know but if, if you if you could just say oh god i wish you could have this i wish we could do that you know, what kind of things pop into your head um but i mean i think that Loch Leven um, and the Heritage Trail and the way, you know, the way that everything is kind of and all the partners work together here. Um, I think really what we've been seeing here um, is um, the real economic benefits actually of having a quality green space on your doorstep. Um, and that's something, you know, we, we've, when the trail was built, which, yeah, that was a collaborative thing, you know, we had... Um, we had tracks as well who were a local access group they were involved in that they project managed it uh, all the different funders you know and, and we've seen you know there's a new um, a new disabled access tunnel gone in under the road from the RSPB Scotland site joint linking into the trail here um, and the thing is that you know all of all of these different attractions, the castle out on, on Castle Island and, and Historic Environment Scotland taking people out to that, you know, that all brings people here and, you know, so many people um, enjoy, you know, just walking around the trail and there's been a real economic benefit to that. Um, and I think now, you know, we could further do that. I mean, I would like to see, uh, I think, you know, we're, we're starting to look at more um, online resources for those who maybe can't visit here um, so you know this hive where, where we're actually sat now we're looking at getting some um, a remote camera fitted here so that people can just you know dial in from anywhere in the world and look at the view that we're looking at now um, you know that would be a great thing for those that maybe can't get out and visit here um, so yeah there's there's lots of projects like that you know maybe um, you know more information facilities for the visitors that do make it here as well um, but there's you know a lot of it um, is I want to ask you a geeky question as well because you know I was going to go for my morning run he says <laughs> you know in, in, the, in the peak of winter last year um, and of course the trail was completely and utterly flooded you know there's just this huge expanse of water and then it froze over. You know, it's like nothing I'd ever seen before. It was curiously beautiful, mm. but really, really weird as well. And it was like that for, for some time. What sort of thing caused that? And is it something you'd expect to see more of? And, you know, how difficult is it to, to deal with those kind of issues? Or is it just part and parcel of what you mm. do here? 
it's I mean that yeah we had um, yeah really unseasonable heavy rainfall um, and over a lot of rain over a relatively short period and we're seeing that a lot and I think that you know I, I don't know certainly what my understanding and what I'm seeing is that it seems like there are a lot more storm events short um, heavy um, rainstorm events like that we had more in August there um, and one of the issues with that um, is that you know the um, it does cause this short-term um, flooding and it also causes other other concerns because one of the issues that we do here have have here at Loch Leven um, is that we are starting to see more um, of the blue-green algae on the loch um, which um, is is harmful um, and it's caused by um, nutrient enrichment um, but one of the things that we suspect is, is in part causing it is that we're getting these sudden rainfall events um, and the systems that are in place which would normally clear out all of those nutrients before they got into the loch um, and you know things like farmers fertilizers that they put on the fields you know and normally they would be stopped by buffer strips but you get a real torrential downfall like that and there's nothing really that anyone can do um, to stop these soils from washing away and they all bring nutrients in and the water treatment systems maybe can't cope because of the high flows um, and you know they, that does that does cause some of these these blooms um, and those I think are becoming more and more frequent um, and so it is going to be a problem going on um, I mean one thing that we don't have here yet is is beavers and you know I think that those again you know um, will um, you know they help slow flows in the catchment and things like that and might help but equally um, you know I think we just have to deal with these kind of things the climate is changing um, and we're going to see we're going to have to just deal with these things more and more. For people who maybe aren't familiar with with the blooms they're, they're toxic so you know it means people can't go into the water or the dogs have to be kept in a lead in case they drink something they shouldn't drink you know I think in some cases it could probably be fatal for pets is that correct? It can be yeah that's right yes they can be um, so we, we have been trying to do more publicity this year because the last few years um, we have seen more blooms uh, and there was a lot of work there was a catchment management plan um, and a lot of work done in the catchment um, basically since 1992 um, when the problems really kind of peaked and there was a massive amount of work done um, upgrading water treatment works um, working with farmers to reduce the runoff that I was talking about and many of the farmers are on board with that you know and they are doing a lot of uh, a lot of work to try and avoid um, excess runoff of nutrients um, and everyone was working and is still working really hard on that um, but what we're seeing and what we think is probably the cause the last sort of two or three years when we've had these algal blooms um, the water temperatures in the loch have been markedly higher um, than they were previously during the summer and um, when the temperatures get above about 17 degrees um, in, in the loch which yeah I mean that's warm but that's how warm the loch does get during the summer um, in recent summers and that just prompts a release of particularly the, um, the phosphates from the sediments in the loch and that's what triggers these blooms um, and that is you know we can do a lot to make the site resilient and this is something you know many many different um, nature reserve managers are trying to do is to you know you can make a site really resilient um, 
but at the moment you know the climate is it is altering I think um, summers are warmer and these storm events are more frequent uh, okay I can't I can't resist going back to what you said a moment ago though. beavers in Lochleven could that really happen are people chatting about this um I'm sure they will get here one day I'm sure they will get here one day um, and you know this is the kind of place where you could see the real benefits of what they what they can do so yeah I'm sure one day it will happen here okay and just one last question on on Loch Leven just now well next week or so what's what's your task ahead what's it what you're going to do you know what can people expect to see Nature Scotland up to around around here um, so well, we're going to be getting um, some of the volunteers um, coming in and giving us a hand um, to plant some trees so we'll be doing some hedging work um, we're working on built on planting a lot of new hedgerows around the reserve um, and also um, we'll be just doing as I said before um, some clearing back of areas of the path that have got a bit overgrown um, we'll be working on that um, and those will probably be the main things next week um, and then Certainly, I think, my, as I say, my colleagues just now are out doing the doing their webs counts as well. And if people want to volunteer, do you have like a quota that's full or can more people get involved? Uh, ordinarily, what we're doing is we have volunteers out on a Wednesday um, and we have a busy group of about eight to nine volunteers um, who come out on a Wednesday. Um, and one of the things that the seasonal um, had been planning to start this summer, had COVID not come along, was um, bringing back our weekend volunteering um, on Saturdays or Sundays during the summer to try and get uh, people who couldn't make our Wednesday volunteering. Um, but COVID unfortunately got in the way of that. But I hope we'll be having seasonals next summer and then we'll be able to um, to, to run the weekend volunteering as well so yeah get in touch at the moment we're kind of putting people on hold but you know do get in touch I thought can probably do that by what visiting your website look at your Facebook that's page, right that yes yeah Facebook or, or through the Nature Scott website absolutely yeah yeah okay and you know is that a glider that's going overhead right now yeah we do there's gliders there's a glider school um, just on the other side of the loch um, so there's gliders around um, Wow, might might have been up there looking at this today. It would be beautiful, wouldn't it? Definitely. So Neil, we're on to the quick fire round, which is just to see the first thing that comes in your head. Perhaps if your personal hat on rather than your work hat on, but just in case. So first of all, car bans or higher fuel prices? Higher fuel prices. Okay, trees or oceans? Ooh, oceans. <laughs> okay. What should citizens do next in the fight for climate? Go electric. The three biggest barriers to saving the planet? People. Probably people, people and people, <laughs> I'm afraid. Okay. Which one species would you save and why? <laughs> I don't know. Um, there are just too many. I don't, I don't think I could pick out one. I mean, part of me would say just something that you just see all the time, like, like the robin. There's been a robin in the background quite a lot. Uh, and, you know, without a robin, the world would be such a different place. But it's not very profound to say something like that. Okay. Favourite species around Loch Leven? Um, Great crested greaves. 